once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the betters box. It's bangthebook.com's MLB betting podcast for Monday, April 6th. I am your host, Adam Burke. As you know, this and every edition of the betters box presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook. BTB and the number 200 is that promo code. 100% deposit match bonus for the sportsbook. 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. A lot of stuff going on over at bangthebook.com here over the next little while. As you know, you can still get the PDF of my 2020 MLB betting guide, or you can click around throughout the site and find that. Voting still going on here for a few hours for the We Weep 8, the round of eight in our Unsweet 16 Worst Football Bad Beats of the 2010s bracket. You can check that out over at bangthebook.com and vote on Twitter at bangthebook. You can get my MLB betting guide over on Amazon, but obviously now we don't know how long the season's going to be. So if you paid for it already for $4.99, we'll figure something out for next year. If you haven't, just go get the free version over at bangthebook.com. Obviously, that makes the most sense here at this point in time. Put up the first of several betting pieces for the 2020 NFL draft over at bangthebook.com this morning. Taking a look at the top three picks, we know Joe Burrow is going number one. We know Chase Young is probably going number two. What happens at number three? Well, that's going to kind of set the stage for not only the rest of the top five, but especially the top ten and on throughout the first round. So, wrote some stuff up about exact draft position over at bangthebook.com. We'll be doing over-under for individual players. We'll be doing the over-unders for conferences, offensive players, defensive players, all that type of thing. We'll have you fully ready, fully prepared for the 2020 NFL Draft here, which is coming up on April 23rd. And of course, some of those prop bets will carry over into the second and third rounds as well. So you'll be able to follow along all weekend long with that. And we'll start rolling out some college football stuff. We already took a look at some conference odds. We've taken a look uh, at some of the games of the year. I'll be putting together my college football power ratings. I think there's enough information out there now with things like Bill Connolly, Friend of Bang the Book, Brad Powers. He's got his power ratings up and his lines for all the games coming up here for this season, as well as projected win totals. And as we're starting to get maybe a little bit more clarity here on what will happen as we head on into the fall, we've got golf events being rescheduled, the Masters, now November 9th through the 15th. We're starting to get some semblance of an idea as to what the fall may look like. So maybe we start doing a little bit more with some actual gameplay stuff for the NFL and for college football. Again, it was very, very difficult on me mentally to know that I did the entire MLB betting guide, 105,000 words, and now we don't even know if there will be a season or how long it will be. So I'm trying to hold off on doing a lot of this college football stuff just because we don't know what the timelines are going to look like if non-conference games wind up even getting played, stuff like that. But You know what? Might as well have it out there. Better to be uh, ahead of the curve than behind it. So we'll try to do some college football stuff here throughout the month of April over at bangthebook.com as well. All right, so I mentioned I'm bringing back the Monday mailbag here today and didn't get a whole lot of response for that, unfortunately. I'm not sure if people are just uh, not too worried about sports right now or what the case may be, but did have one good question here for the Monday mailbag at Skating Tripods on Twitter, Adam at bangthebook.com via email if you want to send your questions. And if some of those questions got lost in translation on the email side, well, we'll try to get to those here in future editions of the Betters Box. But 
We do have one question here from at Sir Blancelot on Twitter. Ryan Blancet reaching out here with a question for the Monday Mailbag. And it's a question about war. And the question being here, is war position dependent? I mean, if 35 catchers qualify, is guy at number 18 at zero? Or is it all hitters or all plate appearances or what? Ryan goes on to say here, the reason I ask is, Say you've got a loaded position like third base because the 10th best guy there might be 50th overall, right? But catcher, even the third best at the position might not be in the top 100. So here's the thing about war. There are a lot of components to war. One of them is a positional adjustment. So the position that you play is definitely taken into account with the calculation of war. And of course, war being wins above replacement player, Baseball reference and fan graphs have different formulas for war in the sense that they evaluate players a little bit differently. Several years ago, they sort of got on the same page, evaluated what their baseline actually is. And so we had a little bit more, um, you know, continuity across the board in terms of the calculation of wins above replacement player. But one of the primary components is a positional adjustment. So, for example, here, Let's use defense because fielding runs is a component of the of the war formula, both at Fangraphs and at Baseball Reference. Defense is more important at shortstop and catcher than it is at first base and second base. So when you factor in the positional adjustment for war, it's going to look more at defense for shortstops and catchers than it will for first baseman and second baseman. Now, obviously, if you're a designated hitter like a Nelson Cruz, uh, like a Fran Mill Reyes has been in the past, he's going to have to play the outfield for the Indians this year. But if you're primarily a DH, you do get a negative positional adjustment because you don't play a position. You know, you accumulate negative fielding runs. So that will hurt your overall war, even though as a designated hitter, as the position implies, all teams are worried about with you is your offense but it will hurt your overall war number. Now, another thing here about this is that because of the positional adjustment, it is relative to the league average offense at that position. So for example, catchers are notoriously bad offensively. Last year as a whole, catchers across the league batted 236 with a 308 on base percentage and a 405 slugging percentage with a 303 WOBA and an 85 WRC+. So catchers, on the whole, were 15% below league average offensively using weighted runs created plus. However, you also have to factor in that catcher defense is very, very important. And in particular, we saw a big adjustment to catchers a couple of years ago when they found out some different framing metrics, which framing is, you know, pitch presentation, stealing strikes here or there, pitches that should be strikes are called balls because the catcher doesn't present that pitch properly. We saw that there was a big adjustment to catcher fielding because of this influence of framing. So catchers, in fact, got an upgrade across the board because of their framing metrics and what framing runs actually mean in the context of an at-bat, in the context of a game. So catcher defense is a massive part of the war formula. And catcher offense 
Well, the baseline is pretty low for catcher offense. So if you're a league average hitter as a catcher, you're going to get a massive bump in your war calculation. Now, on the flip side here, you look at something like right fielders. As a whole, right fielders last year hit 262 with a 334 on base percentage and a 461 slugging percentage. Good for a 334 WOBA and a 107 WRC+. So right fielders as a whole were 7% better than the league average offensively for all hitters. Now what that means is if you're a league average offensive player as a right fielder, you are not on par with the rest of your position group. So that will drag down your war number. So unless you're very good defensively or very good running the bases because there is a base running component to war, you're probably not going to be a league average right fielder from a war standpoint. Now, of course, we have some right fielders that you know have a 115 or a 120 or a 125 WRC plus relative to the other right fielders. That makes you a whole lot better. And again, keep in mind here that war is wins above replacement player. So if you are at a replacement level baseline for your position, the guys that are better than you, that's going to reflect in their war. So fortunately, the nice thing is with a lot of these stats and a lot of these statistics, these websites like fan graphs, like baseball reference, actually do all the formula work for you and then just spit out what the final product is. But if we look league-wide last year, the wins above replacement player for right fielders was 102.4. The wins above replacement player for catchers was 54.3. So you can take this a lot of different ways. First of all, the way that I take it is if you've got a very good catcher, that is a massive, massive upgrade for you as a roster. Because there were only 54 wins above replacement player for catchers last year. If you've got a guy that's got you know three or four F war, that's a large percentage of what's out there. If you have a three or four F war right fielder with 102.4 F war across the board, that doesn't mean as much. So what we see is we see a lot of teams prioritize these positions where there's not a lot of war available, like catcher, like relief pitching. That's another one that we've seen a lot of uh, investment in here recently. So there's a lot of stuff going on here in terms of what replacement level is and in terms of how much above replacement level a guy can be. Something else about war here is that there is a league adjustment and you divide by the runs per win. So what this allows us to do is compare players by war across multiple generations, across multiple decades, because the league adjustment is always going to be different and the runs per win is always going to be different. So in the present day, runs per win is different than it would have been with a deader baseball back in the 1980s or you know, going back to the 50s and the 60s, something like that. So that's why we can use war to compare across different generations and across different decades because there's a league adjustment and you divide by runs per win, which is always going to be different based on the offensive environment and the context of the league as a whole. So again, you've got different baselines based on different positions for the calculation of war. 
And obviously, yeah, you know, you're going to have guys at third base that really stand out are going to get a lot of wins above replacement. Those are guys that are going to be up at the top of the league. Similarly, you're going to have catchers that are in the top 20, top 25 league-wide because they're so much better than their peers. So war takes into account uh, batting runs, fielding runs, base running runs, positional adjustment, league adjustment, stuff like that. And it spits out you know, that final product over at something like Fangraphs to illustrate how much better than league average a player is and how much better he is at his own position as well. So war is really an all-encompassing metric. I know a lot of people like to talk down about it, stuff like that, but it does a lot of comparison. It's a very important tool for comparing not just players among their peer groups, but comparing players to players of the past and stuff like that as well. So in a very long-winded way, yes, there are positional adjustments for war because, again, you would not expect a catcher to perform offensively to the same level as a right fielder or a first baseman or something like that. So there are adjustments in place based on the position groups because right fielders are generally better hitters than center fielders. Center fielders are more defense types of defensive oriented types of players. Uh, a lot of times they're more speedsters. You know, the corner guys hit for power left field, right field, third base, first base shortstops recently have started hitting for power. You know, you look back into the 90s, you didn't have a lot of shortstops hitting for a lot of power. And that dynamic kind of changed with guys like Alex Rodriguez and stuff like that to where the offensive baseline for shortstops did get a lot different going into the 2000s. So the nice thing about war is that it's always adapting, always evaluating the current environment and factoring that in with the war calculation. So it's a fascinating stat, to say the least. If you get a chance to read up on it here while we're you know, in the throes of the coronavirus pandemic, go ahead and do it. A lot of good reading material out that are out there for things like war, uh, for a lot of the advanced metrics that are out there as well. A lot, a lot of good stuff out there for you to check out. So once again, if you have questions for the Monday Mailbag, Adam at bangthebook.com or at Skating Tripods on Twitter. I talked last Thursday about cluster luck and I talked about it in the sense of, you know, looking at teams and looking at certain situations where teams maybe fared better or fared worse with the bases empty compared to with runners in scoring position or vice versa. Well, today I want to take a quick look here at some starting pitchers that on an individual level had some pretty substantial cluster luck last season. Now there is something I need to preface this discussion with. And that is to say that there are some sample size shenanigans in play here when we talk about individual pitchers. You know, because over the course of a season, you're probably going to face, you know what, 800 batters or so, 800, 900 batters, something like that, over the course of a regular season. Because, you know, you pitch your six innings or whatever else, and you you may face 24, 25 guys, you're going to wind up making 30 or so starts. Last year, the most batters faced among qualified starting pitchers was Trevor Bauer with 911. Lance Lynn was second with 875. Marco Gonzalez was next with 866. The fewest batters faced among qualified starting pitchers was 686. So by and large, you're going to face 700 to 850 batters, give or take, over the course of a regular season if you're a starting pitcher. 
Now, when we talk about looking at cluster luck specifically, you're going to get a lot of guys that have, you know, 350 to 450 uh, total batters faced with the bases empty and maybe 175 to 200, something like that with runners in scoring position. So we're not talking about really large sample size here. Certainly not what we're talking about with regards to teams. You're looking at overall teams and how they do with the bases empty with runners in scoring position, stuff like that. So there are some sample size things to keep in mind here that can be a little bit misleading, but at the same time, still things that you want to look for regression to the mean, whether it's positive or negative, because the greater the outlier, the more likely that is to come back towards the mean. Even when you factor in sample size, if it's that big of an outlier, even with a similar sample size the next year, it should come back closer to the mean. So we'll look at qualified starting pitchers first, which means enough innings to qualify for the ERA title. And remember, last year, the average WOBA with the bases empty was 314. The average WOBA with runners in scoring position was 327. So again, 314 with the bases empty, 327 with runners in scoring position. And again, like I said, most of these starting pitchers going to fall between 350 and 450 batters faced with the bases empty. And the highest was 213 batters faced with runners in the scoring position. Most guys going to be in the 165, 175, 180 type of range in that department. But as we look at some of these pitchers here, some interesting names to say the least on this list here, Rick Porcello had a 317 Woba against with the bases empty and a 403 Woba against with runners in scoring position. So that's a massive, massive gap. Porcello had the highest Woba against with runners in scoring position last season by a pretty decent margin, no less. I'm slowly buying some stock in Rick Porcello as we go along here. As I mentioned in previous episodes, he had a very low left on base percentage last year really hurt his ERA, his strikeout rate went down a little bit. That didn't help matters. But Porcello was a guy that got very unlucky last year. A lot of cluster luck scenarios popping up here for Rick Porcello, which is probably one of the reasons why the Mets took a stab with him, went out there and got him. Obviously, they won't have Noah Syndergaard for however much of the season winds up getting played here. But Porcello is a guy that maybe won't be as bad as he was last season and could improve by a decent amount, quite frankly. So Porcello here with the 317 Wobo with the bases empty, 403 with runners in scoring position, a guy that you want to look for some positive regression from for this upcoming season. How about Kyle Gibson, formerly of the Minnesota Twins, now of the Texas Rangers, a 312 Wobo with the bases empty. So right there in line with that league average, but a 389 Woba against with runners in scoring position that was 21 points higher than the pitcher in fourth who was Masahiro Tanaka who I'll talk about here in a second but Kyle Gibson a guy that performed up to league expectation with the bases empty but got very unlucky in those cluster luck situations with runners in scoring position so he is a guy that I would look to buy a little bit low on here for this upcoming season as well. Masahiro Tanaka, a 300 Woba with the bases empty above league average, but a 368 Woba against 
with runners in scoring positions. So that's a guy that got unlucky. And also, too, we know Tanaka is a guy with some home run issues. And a lot of these guys are going to have these home run issues with runners in scoring position. And that was something that plagued Tanaka a little bit last year. So he had a 368 Woba against with runners in scoring position. Again, a 68-point difference. And that's what I'm talking about, and that's what I'm looking for. When you look at league average, 314 with the bases empty, 327 with runners in scoring position, a gap is to be expected. And the league average gap was 13 points in this split. With a guy like Tanaka, you're talking about a 68-point gap. With a guy like Gibson, you're talking about a 77-point gap. With a guy like Porcello, you're talking about over 80-point gap. So what we're seeing here, an 86-point gap actually for Porcello, what we're seeing here is a gap that falls well out of the average norm. So even with these sample size issues, let's say it was a 40-point gap or a 35-point gap. Okay, that's fine. Those things are going to happen. Like we saw with a Trevor Bauer last year, 315 with the bases empty, 349 with risk. A 34-point gap is not that far out of the realm of possibility. A 60-point gap, a 70-point gap, an 80-point gap, those are substantial. Those are things that should regress to the mean. Even with the sample size issues that we have where we can't make a definitive conclusion that these things will go down because the sample size just isn't significant enough, but we can reasonably assume, and that's what a lot of handicapping from a sabermetric standpoint is. It's making assumptions. It's trying to handicap out as much variance as you possibly can. Well, to me, Rick Porcello will be better with runners in scoring position this upcoming season, or if we have to carry this over into next year, he will be better in that department. Can I definitively 100% say that? No, but because he's such a massive outlier, we can expect positive regression to the mean in that department. Eduardo Rodriguez, a 312 with the bases empty, a 364 with runners in scoring position. Here we are again, a 52-point gap. Is it 70-point gap? No, it's not. But a 50-point gap should positively regress because, again, the league average gap was 13 points and Wobo with the bases empty and Wobo with risk. So, again, we're just making an informed decision, an educated guess here that these things will get better for some of these specific pitchers. Herman Marquez, another one, 294 with the bases empty. So he was 20 points better in the Woba department with the bases empty, 13 points higher than the average with runners in scoring position. So Marquez is a guy that maybe does better with runners in scoring position, but we could also see him regress negatively with the bases empty. So that's one where, to me, it probably cancels out a little bit, but guys like Porcello, Tanaka, Gibson, Eduardo Rodriguez, I would expect them to fare better in these runners in scoring position situations for the upcoming season. Now, what about the flip side here? Guys that had a higher Wobo with the bases empty as opposed to with runners in scoring position. And again, looking at the significant outliers here, how about you say Kikuchi of the Seattle Mariners? A 381 Woba against with the bases empty, a 316 Woba against with runners in scoring position. So Kikuchi is a guy, to me, 
that should get better with the bases empty, but regress with runners in scoring position. So that's probably going to cancel out. And really, when you think about it, you'd rather see the cancellation the other way. You would rather see a guy, you know, probably struggle a little bit more with the bases empty, but do better with risk. It's the opposite for Kikuchi, who already had an ERA of about six last year. So, yeah, he could do better with the bases empty, but I would expect him to do worse with runners in scoring position. So that's a problem area for me where maybe he won't be as bad as last year, but he very well could be. Similarly, a guy like Tanner Roark, a 367 Woba against with the bases empty, a 305 Woba against with runners in scoring position. So another guy I would expect to do better with the bases empty, but worse with runners in scoring position. Jake Junis is another one. 359 empty, 311 with risk. Dylan Bundy, 351 empty, 267 with runners in scoring position. So Bundy is a guy that, you know, if he continues to have success with runners in scoring position, could be a very, very good pitcher for the Angels this season and on into next year as well. But if that regresses and he doesn't improve with the bases empty, that's when you get a really big problem area. So again, sample sizes are playing a role in this. There's some obvious variants here because guys like Kikuchi and Junis just aren't very good, but they wound up doing well with runners in scoring position, and that can happen over a small sample size. So that's why this is not gospel. This is not guaranteed. But again, we're looking for we're, we're looking for spots where we can infer improvement, where we can expect improvement, or where we can expect a decrease and a drop-off. And again, that's what I want to try to do here in the lead-up to the season is give us this list of pitchers that we can look to go on or against if the price is right once games actually start getting played. So we've had a lot of those different guys we've talked about. And quite frankly, a lot of the same names keep coming up. Guys like Junis, like Porcello, like Eduardo Rodriguez, like Marquez. A lot of these guys keep coming up, and that's not a coincidence. That's not a coincidence at all. And I'm not planning for it. It's just the way that the statistics bared out last year. And that's something that we can use to our advantage here going into this shortened season or going in to the 2021 season. Finally, a couple others here, and these are significant sample size concerns because Ryan Yarbrough was a guy that kind of worked as a bulk reliever, then was a full-time starter later in the year, and Mike Fultonevich was hurt most of the year. But Yarbrough last year, a 223 Woba against with the bases empty, a 424 Woba against with runners in scoring position. Now that's with only 99 batters faced, but still a very, very high number to say the least. Mike Fulton Evans, 315 with the bases empty. Again, right there in line with the league average, but a 380 Woba against with runners in scoring position. So again, this is not guaranteed. Nothing in life is guaranteed, as we know. This is not guaranteed. These are just expectations. These are guys I would expect to improve with runners in scoring position or drop off with runners in scoring position. And you can get a lot of good betting value if you've got this comprehensive picture of these individual starters, of these teams, so on and so forth. So it sucks not to have baseball. It sucks not to have games and lines to talk about and all that. But on the plus side, we're getting a very, 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 you know, 
uh, focused view of pitchers that we want to look to back and want to look to fade once these games actually do get started. So hopefully we can keep moving forward with that here while we've got a lot of time to talk about these things. And hopefully, too, you're getting a better understanding of not just what these statistics mean, but why their handicapping applications can be so valuable. And I know it can be tough in podcast form to understand a lot of these numbers and things that I'm talking about here, but a lot of this is just, we're we're building concepts and we're using the numbers and the data as supporting evidence is basically what we're looking to do here. And I've talked about that before a lot that, you know, people get so confused and so, uh, you know, disenfranchised with sabermetrics and whatnot because they don't understand them. Again, these things quantify what the eyes can see. They quantify what we believe to be true, and we can find out if it's false. And you can watch games. Let's say you were a Red Sox fan last year, and you're watching Porcello, and you're just like, man, this guy cannot get out of innings. He cannot finish innings and limit the damage, minimize the damage, and get the third out. Well, was that true? Absolutely. A 403 Woba against with Risp. A left on base percentage in the 60s. You saw that with your eyes. But now we quantify it and we tell you how much it means and what impact it actually had. That's the function of sabermetrics to me with the way that I interpret the data. Yeah, it's a way of evaluating players. Absolutely. Most definitely. But the way that I try to breach the topic with people is to say watch a baseball game watch a baseball season and if you think you're picking up on something you probably are but just picking up on it isn't enough we need to know exactly what it means we need to quantify it and see how much of an impact it's having that's what these stats do for us and that's why we can build these profiles of these pitchers that we want to look to back or want to look to fade coming into the upcoming season. We'll be back with another edition of Bang the Book Radio on Tuesday. We'll uh, we'll crack the surface on some NFL draft stuff with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Thursday, we'll have another edition of the Betters Box. Uh, we'll get Brad Powers on the show to talk some college football soon. Uh, I know John Ryan's been asking to do a segment, so we'll do one of those here in the near future as well. Uh, we'll just keep busy as much as we can here on Bang the Book Radio, and over at bangthebook.com. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And remember, you will never strike out when you're in the betters box.